0: Uh, have your Bibles, open them up to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. We're going we're gonna to finish up in Hebrews chapter 9. Um, before we do that, I'm going to give a quick um, update on, on Israel and um, Gaza, Hamas. And, and really with one question I want to answer, because this is the, the question that that's, I think most of us want to know that's getting po- poised the most this week is, um, is is this biblical prophecy being fulfilled in What's happening in Israel? And I, I could just tell you unequivocally, the answer to that question is, I, I don't know. We don't know. Right now, um, one of the things prophetically we look forward to, if you've been around um, myself or Calvary Chapel for very long, we've been telling you no, not, nothing new. We've been telling you for 25 years to keep your eye on Damascus, Syria, and also to keep your eye On Russia and Iran. Because in the last days, Russia and Iran are going to attack Israel with eight other um, nations. And it's called the Gog and Magog invasion. That's a future prophecy that we're looking for. So the Gog and Magog invasion is at the time of the end. It's one of the signs of the return of Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel 38, these ten nations led by Russia and Iran and Turkey are going to invade Israel. Um, in order for that to happen, the Bible says in Isaiah 17, 1, that Damascus, Syria will be flattened. Damascus, Syria is not, um, uh, it doesn't say flattened. Technically, it says it will become an uninhabitable city. In, in home Syria, Syria has been in a war for the last 10 years. Um, and in Home Syria, that, that is fulfilled. Home Syria is now an uninhabitable city. You can see drone footage flying over Home Syria. Home Syria was, was a major metropolitan city 12 years ago with nightlife and, 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 and everything you can imagine. And, you know, the uh, Tokyo, New York skyline. You look at it today and it looks exactly like the pictures that are coming out of northern Gaza. And, and, and when that happens to Damascus, Syria, that's a biblical prophecy that we can put our thumb on and say this is the chapter and the verse. Now, when, when things happen prophetically, we always have our eye on Israel. And why is it so important what's going on in Israel? Because the, 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 the Bible is about Israel. The prophecies, 100% of your prophecies, biblically, they're fulfilled in and around Israel. And God God has He tells the, the beginning from the end. He tells us what's gonna happen before it happens, but only in the regard to how it's going to affect Israel. That's been from Genesis to Revelation. The book of Daniel is is the most prophetic book you have in the Bible. And, and all the prophecies of Daniel, they have one central theme. How, do, how does it affect Towilla, Utah? How does it affect Israel, right? So it's about Israel. So when things are going on in Israel, obviously our antennas are up and, and they're there. So again, just in a quick nutshell, the two prophecies that, that, that we can put our thumb on, because people ask all the time, Pastor, is this, this chapter and this verse being fulfilled? Well, you can't say that. Michael said, our, our missionary from Israel last week, he said, you know, sometimes, and it's just true, sometimes it's a lot easier to look at b- biblical prophecy in the review, because the rear view is always twenty twenty, You can say, oh yeah, that's exactly what that was. And as we look forward to biblical prophecy, we don't have it all figured out. We, we do our best to put the pieces together as they align. We go, oh, wow, look at this is the thing. It's aligning and, and they're there. I'll tell you what's happening in Israel today. Every piece of Ezekiel chapter 38, which is the beginning of the end, which is going to mark the, the rapture, the return of Christ, and all of those things when this Gog and Magog invasion happens, All of the pieces are right there today. Never in human history have have we had all of the pieces ready to go. um, Iran and and Russia have been eternal enemies for years. Through all human history, Iran and Russia have never been on the same team. In, in, In the recent years, for the first time in human history, Iran and Russia are on the same team. Iran and Russia are working closely together. Oh gee, who would have ever thunk it? Only God told it 3,500 years ago that, that in the last day, Iran and Russia would come together. And then we watch it before our eyes where Iran and Russia are now starting to work together. You know what else is fascinating about the Gog-Magog um, invasion of Ezekiel 38? Saudi Arabia and Egypt, who are perennial, perennial enemies of Israel, they're not listed in the, in the invasion. And today, Israel is in peace talks with Saudi Arabia. They already have a piece of cords with Egypt. So listen, everything that needs to take place is there. But this, what's happening now is not the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. It is not the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38. Are you hearing me? Okay? In Ezekiel 38, it's very clear. Countries from the north, which are Iran and Russia and Turkey, northern, northern Africa, the Sudan, Ethiopia are listed. Um, these, these countries are going to come together from the north going to attack Israel, Gaza is in the south, okay, what's happening now could chill out, one of the possible scenarios, it could chill out, and and because for the first time, is anybody else freaking out, like, has, which I don't recommend at all, but has anybody turned on CNN this week, they're telling the truth, and you guys all say, no, God, God bless you, okay, listen, I always flip over there just for a second to hear the lies and to hear the the nonsense that they're spewing and get mad and then, you know. But I flipped over there this week, and they're telling the truth. They're supporting Israel. They're calling Hamas a terror group. They are boots on the ground. And I'm like, every country, not every country, I think 49 countries last week flew the Israeli flag over their embassies. Germany, Switzerland, France, Rome, United States, all over the world is this um, support of Israel right now, uncanny. It's probably going to flip here pretty soon. Well, listen, maybe this is a possible scenario. Maybe, maybe Israel is going to go through, they're going to wipe Hamas out of Gaza, they're going to create a new um, um, Gaza, a new relationship with, with the Palestinian people that are there, a, a peace treaty, um, things are going to settle down, everybody, they, they finally, the first time Israel has the world sentiment to be able to go in and do this. Now and again, I'm not giving a whole thing on it, not a history lesson. I can give you a history lesson that goes back about 25 years of the the the, um, the, the history with Hamas in Israel, the two infotahs? In intifadas, in, in intifadas, which which are basically incursions um, with with suicide bombs and things. Okay, all this stuff. But Israel for the first time, they 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 have the sentiment to go in and cleanse this. And maybe that's what happens. And then maybe they make this peace treaty with um, Saudi Arabia because that's kind of rocky right now, whether Saudi Arabia is going to back out or not. It was set to, to be signed on December 12th, um, the, the peace treaty. And, and on the peace treaty, they're, they're going to sign with Saudi Arabia and, and um, Iran definitely doesn't want Israel and Saudi Arabia signing this peace treaty because Iran and Saudi Arabia are enemies. Okay, But maybe it happens. Maybe they sign the peace treaty. Maybe the war in Gaza, they, they, they complete it, what they left are, 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 are Palestinians that want to live at peace in Israel, they, they, they work this out, and in the next year, the Bible says that when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction, and maybe it's going to create this, this, this environment the Bible talks about, where Israel, for the first time, is like, we are living at peace all around. We have peace with Saudi Arabia, we have peace with Egypt, we, we don't have Hamas in our southern border anymore, no more rockets firing into Israel, things are going swimmingly, everything's great. Because that's the scenario that the Bible po- points at. Okay. Now here's the other possible scenario. Israel has already lived in peace and safety to, for the most degree. We just went there. We just were there last year. Our groups, are, you know, Christian churches all over the world are going there all the time and having a wonderful, peaceful, wonderful time there. There's more millionaires and billionaires in Israel than, than half of the world. Like, it, it's, it's in a place already where you could say that's already been fulfilled. And so what's happening now, it could either chill out or it could escalate. If it escalates, keep your eye, and if you want to know how it applies to your Bible, what do you got to keep your eye on? Iran and Come on, y'all. This ain't rocket science. I don't care if it's your first week. Two things you got to keep your eye on. Iran and, Iran and Russia. Okay? When you open your newspaper and it says Iran and Russia have invaded Israel, put your head between your legs. And say a prayer. Just kidding. Yeah, look up. Lift your eyes. Your redemption draws nigh. Okay? Okay? So that's it. So depending on what Iran and Russia do in this, this latest deal. And here's the other thing. In the, in the Gog and Magog invasion, the Bible says that no one is going to come to Israel's aid. Right now, we have the most, the most formidable war machine on planet Earth parked off the shore of, of Haifa right now in Israel. United States warship. And there's another one on the way. So we're there. And we've already told Lebanon and Syria and anybody in the north, this thing is happening down the south. Israel's busy. And and, and our upper brass military told the IDF, we'll take care of the north. You guys focus on what you got to do in the south. And, And if they come in from the north. Now, Israel has a militarization zone in the northern part of Israel. It's all full of landmines and tank-busting ditches that Israel has done. So if if they do a ground assault coming from the north, they are going to have a terrible time getting through this four-mile patch of ground um, between Lebanon and Syria and and Israel. But anyways, um, the United States is there to help. In the Gog and Magog invasion, nobody comes to their aid. So again, this can't be Ezekiel 38 today because those things happen. Something has to happen. And, and when it happens, the United States will not be there to, to help. So maybe we'll have our own trouble by that point. Maybe by that time, you know, They and, and I've always said this, and, and again, I, I, I hesitate because I don't, I don't want to scare anybody with, with any of this stuff. But listen, you have to understand, when, when the table is set for Jesus to return, some things are going to get ominous for a minute, right? Things are going to go bad, and, and it's fulfilling the fact that we're going home. And Jesus said, when you see these things happen, he didn't say go to Montana. He said, lift your eyes, your redemption draws near. Multiple times in 1 Thessalonians, Jesus says, God says, comfort one another with these words. You're not appointed to wrath. So none of this is ever intended to scare us as Christians. But here's a possible scenario. You know, when I, I, you know I grew up in the neighborhood in South L.A., right? And, and, and there was two brothers in my neighborhood. And, and they were, you know, one little brother and one big brother. And I had a problem with the little brother. I wanted to beat him up. But listen, if I go and I punch little brother in his eye, what's big brother going to do? Not a good plan. Not a good strategy. If I'm smart, I'll either wait till big brother's unavailable or I'll hit big brother first when he's not looking. And, and, and you know, so listen, they know that. They know. And, and we've prov- proven it today, which is, again, a shock that the administration we have right now is standing so firm with Israel. But if, if Iran and Russia want to attack Israel, they know we're going to come to their aid. So maybe what makes more sense to them is some kind of, you know, hit on our front, some kind of preemptive strike to keep us out of the, the way. And we, and we got enough going on on our side that we're unable to send help to Israel. The, the other thing to, to consider is that when the rapture happens, the United States is going to be greatly affected because all you great folks are going to be up in heaven with Jesus. And so every station that you man is going to be unmanned. Our military, our infrastructure, our government, well, all the politicians will still be here, but... Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. There might be one that's saved. I don't know. It be the, uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's already fulfilled. I think the Psalm 83 wars already happened. But um, here's how we have to process this. Again, are we afraid? No. Somebody be honest. Somebody just be honest. Is it creating fear? Anybody like in a little, okay, you know, and again, not that I'm afraid, but like, you know, I, I always call my pastor. I always call my pastor, and like, I called him this week, and I was like, Dad, you gotta talk me off the ledge. Like, the world's on fire. And I had, I had just at the same day I saw this couple fake news things. I saw where Russia landed two nuclear planes in, in, in Venezuela in our backyard and I'm thinking, oh man, that idea where Russia's going to come and attack us first to get us out of the way. It was, it was fake news. Exercise in 2019 and, and it's not today and I saw some things. But anyways, I, I know we can get there. And again, I just want to be careful because I don't want us ever to be afraid. We have nothing to be afraid of. What we do need to do is we need to be um, radical about sharing the gospel right now, right? Jonah, you know, Jonah went through Nineveh and he preached and the Ninevites got saved. I've been praying that, you know, this the, this group of Palestinians, Israel, leaflets out of the sky like back in World War II. They, they sent mass text messages to their phones and voicemails, to forced messages to all the phones and in Gaza telling them they needed to move south of the river because they were going to be doing um, bombing in the north. Now, of course, all of the Hamas guys they're targeting are going to leave too, but there's videos released, there's pictures released this morning of these mass groups of people moving to the south to where it's safe and Hamas blockading the way and telling the Palestinian people to turn around and go back. Forcing them to go back to areas where they're going to be bombed. Now, now you know those people, and again, all these, these protests around the world today, uh, of, uh, in America and all around the world, you know, free Palestine. Like, I could totally get with that. Like, I'm just going to add a little bit to their sign on the bottom. Free Palestine from Hamas. Because Hamas is their captors, not Israel. And there, there, there are Christian Palestinians. You know, and so my prayer has been, you know, it's like, this is kind of weird. I'm going to get off now. I shouldn't do it. I should just get back to Hebrews and just get our Bible study. But let me rabbit trail for a minute. <laughs> Another minute. Imagine you're on a hill and you're looking down in the valley and you see the Israeli army gathered here and the Philistine army gathered here. And every day you see this giant 10 feet tall named Goliath come out of the Philistine army and taunt the armies of Israel. And he's formidable. He's formidable. And, and, and Israel is full of 600 fighting men that are the elite of the elite um, class of fighting men. Some of these men killed 300 men in one battle by themselves. These dudes are battle-tested, bad-to-the-bone warriors, and every one of them is like this. <laughs> I'm not going to go fight him. 17-year-old boy shows up the battlefield to see his brothers and bring them bread and food by the name of David. And he sees this Philistine come out and mock the God of Israel and the armies of Israel. And he says, I'll fight him. They say, you can't fight him. You're a boy. And David says, I'll fight him because I'm not going to fight him in my strength. The God of Israel is going to fight him. And I'm going to fight him with faith. And I'm going to go out and show you what the God of Israel will do. And then the God of Israel is going to start. And, and, and this, this young boy, David, they give him armor. And and he's so, the armor doesn't even fit. It's built for a man. He's not even a man. It doesn't, it's like, he's like, I can't use that. They give him a sword and he says, I can't fight with a sword. And he takes a sling out of his side. And you're on the hill. And you're watching a young boy with a sling against a a giant that puts fear in the hearts of all of Israel. Are you praying for Goliath? Oh, Lord, I pray Goliath would just come to Jesus and just got saved. No. You're praying that that stone would hit him between his eyes. And when it's over, that, so, you know, what I mean, because Goliath in the story, he represents the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel. And listen, you know what happens to the enemies of Israel? Off with their heads. Goliath's head, David took his sword and cut his head off. And so, you know, I get it. Like, but at the same time, we're, we're praying for the God of Israel and for the enemies of Israel. Now Now, they're not all enemies. I get that, right? And so my prayer this week, honestly, I've been praying that God would raise up the spirit of Jonah, because Nineveh was a place a lot like Gaza. Nineveh was a place exactly like what what Gaza is today. And and, and that God would raise up a prophet, a man, a a preacher who would be running through right now as we speak, proclaiming the everlasting gospel to, to the Palestinian people and those that want to believe and repent that they're getting saved. And those that are the enemies of God and hate Israel and are demon-possessed, complete picture of pure evil, that their heads would come off. Amen? All right. I don't know if I'm going to get anything into Hebrews. All right. Can we change gears or not? Are we too into it? <laughs> All right. I only had about six people leave, so we're good. All right. If you have your Bibles, open them up. We're going to pick it up. We left off last week. Actually, not last week, a couple weeks ago. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want to draw your attention as we begin to verse number 22. Everybody there with me? Open Bibles. You're with me. You're following along. Verse 22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. So listen, this is a verse we, we, we quote all of the time. And just to get a running start in Hebrews, which I don't have time to get a running start this morning, but if you haven't been here, Hebrews is a book that was written to Jews and and, and that their tradition was changing. One of the most difficult things to do is change tradition, especially religious tradition. And these were a group of people that grew up under the law of Moses and under Judaism. And then here comes Jesus in their life. He dies on a cross and no longer do we relate to God based on the Old Testament system, but now we relate to God based on grace. And so Paul is demonstrating through the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better than all of the Old Testament systems, that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament talked about, and all the lambs every year that they would sacrifice, that there was all a picture leading up to Jesus, that the high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur and and make atonement for the sins of Israel, that Jesus did that one time, and it doesn't need to be done every time and every year. And on and on and on how, how, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and that Jesus is better. And really trying to coach and encourage these people that had lived their whole lives under the system, rightfully so, of Judaism, that now they're going to follow God based on the law. And then Paul makes this unequivocal, emphatic statement here that we all live by. And he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. What can wash away your sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it was necessary that, that, that Jesus shed his blood to forgive your sins. Listen, people tell me, when I grew up, I, I, I grew up, it was kind of funny. I grew up on a, on a street called Manhattan Beach Boulevard in Lawndale, California. Um, just to, to my west was Manhattan Beach. Just to my right is Gardena and Compton and Inglewood and then Redondo Beach, so you got all the beach cities, and so all this stuff, and then all kind of the other cities on this side Watts, and um, right in the middle of all of it. And just on my block, there was six kids that were my age that I grew up with. Every one of them was a different race. Rudy was Mexican. Mike was from from Taiwan. Miguel was Peruvian. Larry was a white kid. I was a white kid. Um, Danny was a black kid. When we went somewhere, we had like every race. Ray was Filipino. We had like every race represented in our little seven group. Kids that lived all lived on my neighborhood, and and, and growing up with these guys, and I wasn't a Christian, and 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 yet every one of them had their own background, and I had lots of lots of arguments with Mike, my friend who was um, grew up or was born in Taiwan, lived there till he was four years old. His parents moved to California, and then Mike grew up my neighbor in California. And, um, And Mike would always ask me, he would have this kind of like Trump question, and again, I would kind of like fight for Christian because I didn't know any better, but I knew I wasn't Catholic, and some of the guys were Catholic, and this and that, and um, nobody was really nothing, nobody really had any strong convictions, but, and Mike would say, how can, how can two billion um, uh, Buddhists be wrong? And it always kind of troubled me a little bit, you know, which is not fact anyways, but you know, that was the, the way he would pose it when we were kids and, and, and growing up. And then when I became a Christian, I would, that, that little voice of Mike would always kind of rehash re in my head. How can all these other people be wrong and Jesus be right? And I remember God spoke to my heart about the issue. And, and God spoke to my heart that it's not a matter necessarily of who's right and wrong. On judgment day, it's a matter of whose sins are forgiven and whose sins are not forgiven. And so the ultimate deal is good people don't go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Forgiven people go to heaven and unforgiven people go to hell. And the only way to be forgiven of your sins is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without the shedding of blood... There is no remission of sin. We have two, probably three verses today that are memory verses in your Bible. If you're a Christ follower, these are ones you need to have in your repertoire as memory. This is one of them. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Amen? Verse 23 says, Therefore it was necessary that copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Do you remember last week? God tells Moses to build this tabernacle that we've been studying and we've been putting pictures of up here. He said, build it exactly like I tell you and don't deviate and don't have any kind of artistic freedoms because it's a model of what the tabernacle is like in heaven. And I want you to build it exactly like I tell you because it's, it means something. And so this is a copy. So again, he's saying this is the copy. And then in verse 24, he says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Talking about Christ. And the difference between the practice of the high priest going in to the Holy of Holies every year and offering um, the, the blood of rams and goats in order to cover the sins of Israel, that Jesus only needed to do it one time. And verse 27, and this is a second memory verse, verse in, in our study today, And it is appointed for men to die once, and then after that, the judgment. Listen, this is a theological and a doctrinal statement that we can pull out of Hebrews. It's in the flow, and so in its context, we also want to catch it. But this verse says that it is appointed to men to die once, and then after this is the judgment. So listen, this kind of puts a a stop to, a kibosh to any kind of purgatory type of doctrines where you die and there's this, this kind of place where you can go to, if you didn't get it right here, to do it over, karma, um, reincarnation, to, to do it better the next time. It all goes away. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When you die, you will stand and and face your judgment. There's no second chance. There's no purgatory. There's no kolob. There's no anything else in between. There's no, no bringing you back by somebody baptizing you for the dead while you're here and forgiving your sins that you committed in the past. You live this life once. It's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Okay? And then he goes on and he says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, the salvation. Did that just say that Jesus is going to come back? Okay. What have I told you guys hundreds and hundreds of times? The Bible in the New Testament, and here's another example of hundreds, talks very plainly about the fact that Jesus is coming back. It's the central theme of the New Testament. Repeated more than any other theme in the New Testament, in one way or another, Weaved into every text and every chapter of the New Testament, somewhere is the idea that Jesus is coming back. And here's just another simple one. That Jesus will come back. He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. Chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the thing, can never, with the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Listen, everything that happened in the Old Testament with the sacrifice of the lambs pointed to Jesus, right? Right? Jesus didn't abolish the Old Testament. Jesus did not abolish the law of Moses. Jesus fulfilled it. He completed it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't wrong, and God needed a redo. Everything in the Old Testament was meant for a purpose, everything like today. Listen, God had these amazing signs and and warnings and pictures that a Messiah was coming. And so when Jesus was born in a manger... And, and, the, and the, the, the majesty, the magi came and worshiped him. And then he lives a sinful, perfect life. And he, and, he, and he ministers for three years and he dies on a cross. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing so that people wouldn't miss it. There was sign after sign after sign that Jesus was the fulfillment. And thousands of years of history pointed to this event. Just like today. All of these things that that are happening in biblical prophecy, things happening around Israel, they're pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming back. Listen, we we don't know when. The Bible is very clear. Jesus said in Matthew 24, no man knows the day or the hour. And, And don't buy the idea that, oh, that's just a Jewish idiom, because he went on and he qualified and he spoke for four or five more verses on the same topic, meaning that this is not just him quoting a Jewish idiom. This is him telling you, no man knows the day or the hour unequivocally. But listen, he he said this. Yeah, we don't know the day or the hour. We're not date setters. And you're never going to catch me ever, ever, ever telling you, this means Jesus is coming back and the rapture is going to happen and yada, 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 yada. But I'm also not without excuse because he went on and he didn't didn't just say, you don't know the day or the hour, but he went on and he told the disciples and he kind of chastised them a little bit. And he said, listen of the times and seasons, you shall know. You shall know. know. So what is happening around our very eyes today? The times and the seasons that Jesus spoke of in his second coming, we're seeing them. We're living them. They're happening around us. Does that mean that Jesus could come back tonight? Absolutely. Does that mean that the situation in Israel could fizzle out a little bit and peace and safety for another couple of years and then it ramp back up in 2030 and, and Jesus come back in 2030? Sure. So, do you have seven hours or seven years? Yes. I like that answer. You, listen, so what, what, what do we do as Christ followers? We we do we bet on the bet on the 7 year on the 7 hours and go charge our credit cards? Cuz we're not going to have to pay them? That's a bad bet if it's the 7 years. Take you that long to get out of the bankruptcy you're going to have to file. The point is this, whether it's 7 hours, be ready. Don't get caught with your hand in the cookie jar and your pants around your ankles when Jesus comes back. Be ready. Not a time to be shacking up if you're unmarried. Get right with Jesus. It's not a time to be living a, a, a lifestyle that, that's, that's outside of the gospel. And, and it means that if it's seven years, that's seven years for us to do work. That's seven years the angel said, why do you stand here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who, who went up is coming back. And in the meantime, there's work to be done. And that we use those seven years to share the gospel and love people. What we don't want to do is be people that, you know, it, it's kind of funny because in this time we're living, Jesus said, when you see these things happen, lift your eyes, your redemption draws an eye. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, there was this weird girl when I was in high school, and she wrote a poem and performed it in front of the whole school, and it was called Walking in Circles. And I'm like, this girl's strange, you know, walking in circles. But I'm like, okay, like, people see me, and I'm not, now all of a sudden I'm this girl that I made fun of in high school, and I'm just walking in circles, looking in the heavens, you know, and like, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm doing exactly what Jesus told me to do. I'm lifting my eyes because my redemption draws nigh. But there's work to be done, Right? The lift your eyes, your redemption draws nigh is meant to encourage you that, that in those times when the world begins and has begun and continues to fall apart around us, that, that, that we're going to be okay. Do you, know, do you know the Bible says the God of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers? It says in, 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 in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and those that love you. And, and, and Listen. I, I can remember, you know, all these things, and we talk about it right now because what's going on in Israel. Israel is the apple of God's eye. The God of Israel never sleeps nor slumbers The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and that Israel is the apple of God's eye. But listen, I want you to understand something very, very clearly, unequivocally. The same emphasis of those promises that God makes about Israel that we can read in our Bible that say God, that Israel is the apple of God's eye, we have the same Powerful promises over the bride of Christ in the New Testament. So just as much as the Bible touts how God holds Israel in a special place, do you know what else God does? He holds the bride of Christ in that same place. And we have the same blessing. We've been grafted in. And and you are also, in essence, then the apple of God's eye. God God loves you, and you're the bride of Christ. And again, um, you know, they're, they're both very special to the Lord. God's going to put a seal on 144,000 Jewish evangelists in Revelation chapter 7 who are going to go through during the seven years proclaiming the everlasting gospel and seeing mass amounts of people get saved. And, And he's going to supernaturally protect them through the seven years. Do you know the Bible says in the New Testament that God has put a seal upon the bride of Christ? You know, I think, oh man, how cool would that be? I got this like secret sonic super seal on my forehead that only like other cool people can see and... You know, it shoots fireballs out of it. And, you know, that's going to happen in Revelation 7. I'm like, wow, that would be so cool. I want that. And then I go back to Corinthians, and God says, I've sealed you with my Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, I already have it. God's Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And and, and and my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm just as cool as they are. God is just as much in love with me as he is the nation of Israel. And we're his bride. And And he's crazy in love with you. And he doesn't want you to be afraid, and he wants us to be putting in work. You know what the Bible says? that you, There's two judgments in the Bible, very important. One of them is the great white throne judgment, and you're not going to be there if you're a Christ follower. If you're not born again in here today, and you're at the great white throne judgment, you won't go to heaven. That's how I know that Christians won't be there because the Bible says 100% of the folks who are judged in the great white throne judgment.